It is Thursday, 48 hours away from Baylor and Oklahoma in Norman. Welcome to a crossover edition of Locked On Baylor. And Locked On Sooners. You are Locked On Baylor, your daily podcast on the Baylor Bears. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, folks. Thursday, Drake Toll alongside Josh Helmer. Josh is from Locked On Sooners. I'm from Locked On Baylor. For all those listening, whether you're an Oklahoma fan or Baylor fan, thank you for making our shows your first listen every single day. And a matchup this week, Josh, of two top 10 teams, each one loss coming into this game exactly where we expected them. And that's the intro I thought I'd be giving this time three months ago. But it's completely different. The top two squads in the Big 12, and everything has flipped. But... Each team's on a positive trajectory. Does it feel like Oklahoma, in their last two games specifically, has turned a new leaf? Well, Drake, first and foremost, you are so accurate with your depiction of what we thought this game was going to be, right? I think most people thought that Oklahoma-Baylor would be a Big 12 championship game preview, and obviously uh, it has, uh, unfortunately for both, not not played out that way at all. On uh, Oklahoma, if they've turned a new leaf or not, you know, on the radio side here in in Norman, some of the discussion last week was, okay, is this Iowa State game? And it feels like we've kind of done this every single week ever since uh, Oklahoma got it handed to them down in Fort Worth. Like, is this week where we find out for Oklahoma what the rest of the season's picture looks like? Well, we had a little bit of that discussion last week ahead of Ames, right? And I said last week on the radio and on Locked On Sooners, I said, Look, to me, the game that's going to showcase, kind of illustrate what the rest of OU's year is going to look like, it's Baylor coming into Norman the following week, right? Because I felt pretty confident that Oklahoma would go into Ames and win that game, really largely because of some of the inefficiencies of Iowa State offensively, and it ultimately played out that way. So the long answer to a very short and simple question, I don't know, right? I I think this Mm. is the week that sort of tells us if Oklahoma has turned that corner. You know, the litmus test for Baylor and to to about all of us was Texas Tech. If you lose the Texas Tech game, then you're really reeling to go to a bowl. You know, Kansas is still Kansas. It's a home game. Baylor knocks off Texas Tech on the road. You've got your feet up under you going into Norman this week, but you're facing Brent Venables and Jeff Lebby and Dylan Gabriel and a star-studded cast of guys that Baylor has either seen before or is familiar with. Uh, But really the one that I circle is Dylan Gabriel. This Oklahoma team is a different animal when Dylan Gabriel is healthy and hundred percent and playing at the top level. How has his play and even his health affected Oklahoma over the course of this season? Well, you know, let's not mince words about it with Oklahoma. Let's just be open and honest. Oklahoma is not a very good football team. In fact, they're a, a lousy football team without Dylan Gabriel yeah. playing quarterback. We saw that for two and a half quarters versus TCU and everybody, right. Saw that versus Texas that, This team just can't do much right offensively minus Dylan Gabriel. So from that standpoint, I mean, obviously he's imperative for what Oklahoma is doing. And in a year to where I think kind of you go top to bottom in the big 12 Drake and really there's not maybe outside of Hunter Deckers, there's not a lot of bad quarterback play happening Mm -hmm. in the big 12. I mean, top to bottom, there's some pretty good quarterback play. I think Dylan Gabriel would be to me right toward that upper third of the big 12. I don't know that you say that he's the best quarterback right now in the big 12, but what he's been able to able to do both running and throwing the football, Oklahoma, completely different with him as its signal caller. 
You know, Josh, I Dylan Gabriel certainly scares me, and I, I rightfully so. Baylor's secondary has been spotty all season long, and even in games that Baylor has won, there have been times where you go a whole quarter and think, oh my gosh, the secondary's imploded, what are we going to do? And now the secondary played well for Baylor last week against Texas Tech. You still have Dylan Gabriel that scares you, but I, I turn my attention to where Baylor is not scared then. Where are the places that Baylor can exploit Oklahoma? And the first one is this rushing defense. Like, Josh, it's the worst in the Big 12 statistically, and Baylor's got one of the best, if not the best, young running backs in the Big 12 in in Richard Reese. He's not to the B. John Robinson or Deuce Vaughn level yet, but this kid has been a workhorse the last couple of weeks. How can Oklahoma even begin to stop him? Well, I thought that uh, last week versus Iowa State for Oklahoma, just the, the raw statistical numbers tell you, Oklahoma, they stink defending the run, yeah. Iowa State. Not very good rushing the football, right? So to me, the game was really kind of about who's bad on bad wins, right? Who's bad on bad is actually good a week ago. And ultimately for OU, it was Oklahoma, right? They they were pretty good rush defense versus Iowa State. Now, that's Iowa State. And Reese, of course, is a much different animal. Yeah. Baylor across the board is a much different animal running the football. So, uh, I mean, I think, again, kind of one week later, and maybe this is just the story of Oklahoma's season, at least defensively, is – can Oklahoma be competent defensively? Because I think Oklahoma is going to be able to, in Norman, with Dylan Gabriel, with this offense, put some points up on the board. Does that look like the 52 points they put up versus Kansas? I I, I doubt it versus Baylor, right? I would think this game's probably going to wind up getting played somewhere in the 30s. But if OU's going to win it, clearly they can't let Reese be somebody that goes off for 200, 250 yards, which he's shown he's fully capable of doing. Mm-hmm. Josh, on on the level of you know Oklahoma's holes, the rush defense being one of them, where is Oklahoma not just good but elite? What part of this team screams elite and could carry them to still win eight or nine games this season? I don't know. I mean, it remains to be seen. I don't know that Oklahoma has an elite unit right now. Uh, you know, it's probably scary when you say this, but right now special teams – for Oklahoma, yeah. you know, it's like not to downplay special teams or anything. That's an important third phase of the game. And I think we all know and recognize that. But when one of the first names that comes to mind is maybe your punter, Michael yeah. Turner, or your place kick place kicker and Zach Schmidt, that probably tells you a little bit of kind of how the year has gone. I do think Oklahoma offensive uh, offensively, the offensive line is starting to play some of its best football, but I wouldn't describe that as an elite unit right now. I do think Dylan Gabriel's done some really nice things uh, from the quarterback position. But again, I don't know that I'm comfortable saying that he's been head and shoulders better than just anybody else at the quarterback position in the Big 12. So I don't know that Oklahoma is elite anywhere right now. And that's probably the biggest problem with Oklahoma relative to what preseason expectations look like and kind of where they sit right now today. And defensively, they're not elite anywhere. I think you and I both know that. Yeah, you know, Josh, I I really want to get to some of the burning questions that Oklahoma fans and even Oklahoma media have about this Baylor team that I I still have burning questions about, too, by the way, Uh, that and again, two teams that have been inconsistent to the point where there are 
the ceiling's there for both squads. But when do they hit that? Uh, first, though, I got to tell the folks at home about Simply Safe. Josh, what is it? I'll tell you. My car got broken into a few weeks back. I've been. This has been like a talking point here. My house is not safe. Uh, burglars, the bad guys, love to target college kids and college houses, which is a very smart thing to do if you're a burglar out there. I'm just. I'm not going to endorse it, but it's intelligent burglary. Uh, what about Simply Safe is appealing to you? Well, obviously, you get that immediate alert as soon as the threat is there, which now you've made it to where I like want to double tap my lock button on my vehicle just to make sure that out here in Oklahoma City, we are in fact, are in fact safe. But hey, you know, an alert as soon as a threat is detected, that could be the difference, right? Or authorities let know, uh, letting the authorities know just as soon as, a, again, there is any kind of a threat that gives you the security, which ultimately that's what you want, right? It's your home. You want to be safe. Yeah, well, you can't be safe with Simply Safe. Uh, pretty cheap, relatively cheap for what it is, too, because you get a great, these HD cameras can even have facial recognition. So you know, you can realize or uh, report to authorities who exactly it is trying to get into your house or get into any of your goods. Don't miss your chance to save big on the only security system that we'd recommend. 50% off right now. It's Simply Safe. SimplySafe.com slash URL today. This is the biggest discount of the year. So don't wait. SimplySafe.com forward slash locked on college. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Josh, what is it about this Baylor team where the question marks are for OU right now? Well, I would just, I think, open by asking this. Oklahoma and Baylor, as we discussed kind of right off the top, similar rocky trajectories relative to what the expectations were yeah. for both teams. So why have things played out the way that they have so far? Not that it's just been terrible for Baylor. I mean, there's not, you know, that one loss, like Oklahoma's got a couple of losses where – it, it looked like maybe this was going to be a losing season for yeah. Oklahoma. Baylor hasn't at any point reached that point, but relative to what the expectations were, why is this Baylor team not undefeated? Why are they not a one-loss team? What has gone wrong for Baylor? Josh, I have not heard a lot of people talk about this in Baylor media, and I haven't myself until, until I really started to realize it today. Baylor has been hurt a lot. Now, I don't think injuries are an excuse for teams to – not live up at least somewhat to the hype you get preseason because not everybody's dead on the program, but you have now one running back that's at full strength and is Richard Reese. He got 36 carries last week. The kid's 19 years old. I mean, he's only been able to drive for three years and he gave him 36 carries in a college football game on the road at night against Texas Tech. That's not good. You don't have anybody else really behind him at 100%. Um, and and really across the board, you know, Ben Sims, the maybe best target you're going to go to, Monterey Baldwin, both those guys have had time out this season. Blake Shapin had a concussion against West Virginia, or at least concussion-like symptoms. And so any guy, almost any guy that you circle as, hey, it could be a dude, especially offensively, has gotten hurt. And the other big thing is youth. We failed to realize, I think, as Baylor media and even Baylor fans, how young this team is at some pretty key and crucial positions. You don't have Jalen Petrie. You don't have Terrell Bernard. You don't have Jaron McVay or JT Woods. You lost those guys defensively, and now the ones replacing them are mostly freshmen, redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomores or sophomores, and those guys have had a very long period of time where they have to learn how to become elite. When you have a true freshman or a redshirt freshman or young guy even covering Xavier Hutchinson, like what, how do you ask that kid to go from barely playing last season to being the next guy to stop the best wide receiver in the big 12 things don't usually go very well. And Baylor even won that game. So they've taken slow, but sure strides of bringing that youth, throwing them into the fire and trying to get those guys ready for games like Oklahoma or down the stretch, TCU, Kansas state and Texas. But 
the youth of this team is something we should have recognized much more early on in tempered expectations. And then even more uh, Blake Shapin being another example, who only started, you know, nine games of college football. Uh, and, and the other of those being injuries, these guys have been banged up and they're just now getting to where they're kind of healthy at some positions, which is not a good sign even still. Yeah. Well, you kind of rolled me into a couple of my next several questions here. Shapin, you talked about Shapin mm. briefly, but, uh, what what has the quarterback play looked like for Baylor? What can you tell us? Because I, you know, I, I this offseason and really kind of parts of last year was saying, you know, Blake Shapin in some of the spot duty and then throughout uh, just the offseason discussion. I really thought Blake Shapin, somebody that maybe could wind up as the Big 12 player of the year offensively. It hadn't quite been that, but I don't think it's been just totally awful either. So where are you at with Blake Shapin and the quarterback play that Baylor's gotten? You know, J.J. Joe, J.J.'s a legendary quarterback at Baylor, played in the 90s here, and was on the show about a week ago and said something that was a real revelation to me as well, and it's that every time you put a new quarterback into a game, uh, maybe a Baron Morton situation or even a Will Howard situation at Kansas State, a lot of times those guys have immediate success because the opposing team doesn't know who you are. They don't know what you like to do. They don't know what to hone in on to try to stop you. So you'll oftentimes get guys who their first game is great. Their second game even is great. But once you put enough on tape, for opposing teams to find out what your kryptonite is, they're going to attack it. What elite quarterbacks do is they step up in those games in, in, you know, later on and change things, or they rise to the occasion. They get better in a certain area. Shapin is in the, he's the honeymoon phase is over. He's in the phase of how do I rise up to be an elite quarterback? That's above that. Quinn Ewers is another great example of that was so good for his first few games. And then, once teams kind of started to figure him out, you really saw him wane, especially against Oklahoma State. So that's been Shapin's problem is he's not a bad quarterback. He's turned the ball over a lot, which is what young quarterbacks do. And other teams can now read what he enjoys doing and stop what he enjoys doing, which is not a good recipe for him to be the Big 12 player of the year, which I, I made a case preseason. He's got that ceiling. He can be a Zach Wilson but he's still a year away. And that's frustrated a lot of Baylor fans. And even you can tell some of the coaches from time to time are frustrated with the youth of this team shape and included. And I just, maybe he steps up and has an Oklahoma state ask performance with 350 yards and a couple touchdowns, or maybe he plays like he did even against Texas tech where he just filled the role the team needed. And I don't know what Blake Shapen will get on Saturday, but it hasn't really been consistent whatsoever this year. Well, probably the, uh, whichever direction this game winds up going, I mean, look, no brainer key, right. But how each respective quarterback plays going to go a long way to deciding that, but shaping which, which version of Blake shaping shows up. Is it young or is it experienced? I mean, probably could go a long way to determining this game. Okay. You mentioned Reese earlier and we've talked about some of the, the pieces that Baylor's lost. Obviously Petrie was a, a big time star for the bears yeah. uh, just a season ago. So in addition to Reese, who are some some maybe new faces that Sooner fans wouldn't be as accustomed to, but they need to be on the lookout for? Yeah, I would definitely watch out for Hal Presley. He has stepped up in the receiving game in the last couple of weeks. Monterey Baldwin's been hurt. He was kind of your wide receiver one coming into the year. And since he went out, Hal Presley has been one of Shapin's favorite targets and been really good at catching the football. Gavin Holmes is a, a senior, like super senior guy who's had some struggles dropping the football in weeks past, but he also had a 200 plus yard game against West Virginia with a few touchdowns. So 
it's there's a receiving core. We're going to see a lot of names that you didn't hear last year that you're not used to. Uh, and and the secondary, you had multiple guys come out with five interceptions in total and and three different quarterbacks for Texas Tech. So a guy in A.J. McCarty who had a pick six last week. I had never really heard of A.J. McCarty until he had a pick six last week. So there were a couple of those guys that stood out in the secondary. Um, and Tevin Williams is another who could end up having a big week this week. And you think, who who is this guy? Where did he come from? But that's just uh, by virtue of the young guys stepping up into big roles. And then defensive line, Garmin Randolph and Gabe Hall and Siaki Ika. Siaki Ika we haven't even mentioned yet who was my preseason big 12 defensive player of the year uh, has, has finally stepped up into his own. It took him a little bit this season because he was double teamed and they were really coming after him. He's just now become that man we were expecting. So think those names when those names pop on the screen. Don't be surprised whatsoever, but know that us Baylor fans were surprised a few weeks back when they were popping up on our own screens. Well, this is maybe going to segue us into some of our final keys and obviously predictions and the like, but just uh, generally speaking, because have a good indication of what this means, this game potentially for Oklahoma and said as much off the top with you, Drake, but for Baylor, how important just individually is this game for what the uh, future of the season may or may not hold for the Bears? Yeah, this game is the difference between eight and four, nine and three, and six and six, or even five and seven. Baylor's rest of their schedule, like it gets progressively harder. You have a game now on the road against Oklahoma, and then you get Kansas State, and then you get TCU, and then you get Texas on the road. So the the path the rest of the way for Baylor. Now, if they win all those games, they're in the Big 12 championship. It's not going to happen, but it's at least still there. That road is there. So if you beat Oklahoma, you still have that idea in, in your mind that, man, uh, we don't have to count on anybody else. We control our own destiny. Let's go do it. But if you lose this week, you're out of the Big 12 title hunt. And then what's left? The Liberty Bowl? Sweet. You're six and six. So what's what's on, at stake in this game is the same thing that's at stake the rest of this season. It is your destiny in how this season ends for Baylor football because a shot at going to the Sugar Bowl and beating Ole Miss again in the Sugar Bowl is still on the table. It's not going to happen, but it's still on the table. You take that off, what is there left? Get ready for next season and try to do it because you didn't meet expectations. So a lot rides on this game in that Baylor, if they win, still have a shot at the Big 12 title. But uh, one thing, Josh, before we do get into our predictions, um, that I, dude, it, I don't wear gray because usually, look, it's not sweat, but it's a stain. It almost looks like sweat right here. I don't wear gray usually on these shows because I'm a sweater. Are you a sweater, big sweat guy? Uh, occasionally could be a, a big sweat guy. I feel like as like males um, specifically, like sweat's just kind of a thing. Um, and for me, it was a thing, but now I can wear gray in my little sports illustrated jacket because of sweat block. I know I've told everybody at home, you've heard about it year in and year out, day in and day out about sweat block, whether you're in Oklahoma, locked on a locked on Sooners fan or locked on Baylor fan and sweat block made by a doctor who had his own sweating issues and wanted to treat not only the odor, but also the sweat itself and did it successfully. So save 20% with promo code locked on at sweatblock.com. Go to sweatblock.com, try it out, save 20%. And it is also available on Amazon. Josh, Norman, Oklahoma. It's an afternoon game this week. How have the crowd, now Baylor has struggled on the road up until the last couple of weeks. How, how have the crowds in Norman been so far this season? And really what's the expectation for Baylor and OU on Saturday? Crowds have been good. Crowds have been good. Even uh, when things were going sideways for Oklahoma, the Kansas home game crowd was surprisingly good, given the wow. circumstances. That kind of, Drake, uh, 
that had the the possibility to be one of the worst home crowds. Yeah. You know, like coming off of it, which is wild, coming off of a spring where Oklahoma made national news for, oh my goodness, look at this spring game crowd. Uh, Brent Venables called right. for, he wants this packed palace, and lo and behold, he got it. And then you fast forward, and it's like, oh, one of those first conference home games versus Kansas, it might not be uh, yeah. a sellout crowd or a ton of excitement. And, and it was kind of, uh, I think, it was a better crowd than a lot of people expected. So in this game for what it is versus Baylor, uh, obviously Oklahoma, I mean, you ran down some of uh, Baylor's hopes the rest of the way. They're still in play for the big 12 championship. Mm -hmm. Oklahoma is not really in play for a big 12 championship game birth at this point. Uh, I mean, mathematically, is it possible? Sure. It's still possible, but there's so many things that would have to happen in addition to Oklahoma winning out. So this is really about continuing to just lay the foundation for what the future looks like for Brent Venables. And it's important in that because this would be uh, for Oklahoma, easily the best team that they would have beaten so far this season in the Baylor bears. So to me, in terms of keys, uh, I think, uh, you know, I looking at some of the numbers, obviously the rush defense element, uh, we talked about that for OU and for Baylor, the, the rushing offense element. I think resets up to potentially have a huge day. You would think, right, on paper, mm -hmm. if I'm a Baylor fan, I'm saying, man, he might go for 250-300 in this game. He might be setting some Baylor rushing records in this game versus this Oklahoma defense. So that's, of course, huge. And then I just think for OU, man, OU has not been good rushing the passer since the beginning of this season. And mm -hmm. it looked like they were going to be great, right? I mean, they've been replacing Nick Benito. They've been replacing – Perry on Winfrey and they've been replacing Isaiah Thomas and you thought Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs and Jalen Redmond and these guys thought that trio was going to be really really good and early first three weeks kind of looked like it was it hasn't been since Baylor's uh, I want to say right kind of middle of the pack nationally in sacks allowed so it's not terrible for Baylor in that regard but it's not great either in terms of the pass protection department so I'm really looking just like individual key if you ask me for one way that maybe Oklahoma defensively in a game where I don't expect Oklahoma to be regularly getting a bunch of stops, mm. maybe one strip sack fumble could be something that could be the difference for OU in this game. Yeah. I don't know how many strip sack fumbles are going to happen. Cause I don't know how often Baylor's going to throw the ball. They, they don't want to Jeff Grimes and Dave Aranda. And it's something Robbie Triano said on the show earlier this week. This was an offense that behind Blake shape in preseason, they're going to air it out. They're going to take more chances. And now they are right back to where they were last year. Ground and pound run the football, Richard Reese, run it with Quaylen Jones. Who's not hundred percent. And if Quaylen Jones is out of the game, I don't know, find a linebacker, give them the ball. Put the backup quarterback, Kyron Drones, in there. Give somebody the ball and let them run. So Baylor will carry the ball over 50 times in this game. And if Baylor can total as a team over 250 rushing yards, they win this game. The reason why that's the, that's the case is because when Baylor does so, they've had such great success holding on to the football. 40 minutes of time of possession, two straight weeks against Kansas and Texas Tech. That was the recipe to win. It's the Winfield-Scott-Anaconda plan. Winfield-Scott drew up how the North was going to beat the South in the Civil War, called the Anaconda plan. We're going to choke out the South by holding on to the football. And by God, Dave Aranda wants to hold on to the football. So it's going to be long. It's going to be methodical. It is the most aesthetically pleasing offense in the Big 12 right now. Baylor's is because when they just they run the ball they, they, for four yards every play. It, it's kind of boring, but it's worked. So if Baylor can rush for over 250, whether that's via Reese or Jones or Shapin or whoever, that's that's the big key to win. Um, and then defensively for the Bears, can you stop Dylan Gabriel? Can you pick him off once or twice? 
this defense needs to force at least two turnovers if Baylor squarely wants to win. I truly believe that, especially with the way the offense holds the ball, the recipe to win when you're doing that is to turn the opposing team over. So that that's the goal this week for the bears and, and really the keys for me, uh, Josh, before we get into predictions, do you have anything else? No, I mean, I think you hit on a lot of them there and that's, uh, I mean, interesting. And if I'm Baylor, I probably would take that approach, right? I probably wouldn't, especially against OU, given just what the raw numbers look like mm. until OU proves that they can stop me running the football. <laughs> I'm going to be as boring as I possibly yeah. can be. I'm going to run the football a lot. Yeah, you're going to see Baylor go for it a lot on fourth down, too. If, you, if you're if you not ready for that, get ready for that. They Texas Tech and Baylor, number one and number two teams in the country at fourth down conversions. And Dave Aranda will get the ball to the 50 on third and five. He'll run it for three yards, and then he will go for it because that's what Dave Aranda does. Sometimes to do it at his own 35. It doesn't make sense, but Dave will do it. Um, and so for me this week, when I'm predicting this game, you know, I had Baylor losing to Texas Tech. Uh, I think my, my score prediction was 38-24. And in this game, I am going to go with Baylor to win it. And I'm going to go 31-21. The reason being, now I know that's, that's big. 10 points is big. The reason being, though, Baylor's rush attack has just been that consistent since they made the turn to let's not be flashy. Let's just do what got us there last year. And that has worked so well. So I think Baylor goes for, for the strangle technique and Oklahoma makes it really interesting, especially late. But I say Baylor's up 28, 21, get the ball and kick a field goal to, to win it inside of a minute and a half uh, is the way that I see this one playing out and call me a Homer because of it. But I think it's where I'm going to land. No, Hey, that's okay. I don't think it's uh, crazy by any any means to pick Baylor in this game. I, I It's the definition of a coin flip game to me. I do expect there to be more points, though. I think that uh, Dylan Gabriel and Oklahoma will have success offensively, and I don't expect a ton of resistance from Oklahoma defensively in this game. So with that in mind, I'm going to pick OU simply because it's at home, but I'm looking like 37-34. I think there's a ton of points both ways. And uh, I think it's going to be an exciting game for fans. But, uh, I mean, the definition of a coin toss game to me. How about mm, John Williams, too, at OU? Right there with you. OU 34 and Baylor 30 is projection this week. So all of us have it as relatively close going into the fourth quarter. Uh, And I think that's the way it plays out. These are two evenly matched teams who are – definitely trending upward and that makes for a really exciting matchup. So uh, Josh, for, for all of us, all the locked on Baylor listeners that are out there that want to find your content and more OU stuff, just to figure this team out before Saturday, where can they go? Easy. Just search uh, locked on Sooners on all of the social platforms out there, YouTube, obviously as well, or anywhere you get your podcasts uh, locked on Sooners and Drake, same for you for the, the OU fans that want to catch a little more Baylor. Yeah, at Drake C. Toll on Twitter or at Locked on Baylor on Twitter. We're really active on that platform and then YouTube as well. For Drake Toll and Josh Helmer, thanks everybody for making Locked on Baylor and Locked on Sooners your first listens every single day. This has been Locked on Crossover Edition with Baylor Sooners.